So I got to see James for the first time this morning in about three weeks you've been gone, and I'm waiting for him to talk about the lights that I put up. I knew out of all of the people that he would be the most excited about how we decorated for vacation Bible school. And indeed, that's why we have these decorations. It's not just because I decided that I wanted to be in a cave or to do some extreme sermon illustration. But you're right, it lent itself to that. So before we get too far, let's take a moment and pray, and we'll get into our scripture for today, which I'll let you think about what it might be. Oh Lord, our God, as we come before you this morning, thinking about how we want to draw closer to you, knowing that there is nothing that we can do that really draws us closer to you, because we are just fallen human beings. God, it is you that just stand in our face, hold us in your arms. Push us from behind, carry us. God, may we feel your magnificent presence in our lives. And God, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer, and my strength. Amen. There are so many different characters in, especially the Old Testament, but beyond like Jonah, who had a little bit of a scared portion to his life, where he was running away from God's calling on his life, but in the end, God was with him as he stood up in front of the Ninevites, and he said that he was there to tell them to turn to God. No doubt Jonah was scared. That's why he ran away in the first place, but he had the courage to face the Ninevites. And then we have David, Oh, little David, he probably was not more than 12 or 18 years old. And he went up and he had the power of God with him and the strength to face Goliath, the giant, and save the entirety of Israel. What courage and strength David must have had. Or Peter, as Jesus was out on the water, he said, Peter, come. And it wasn't the same type of coming That was before when he said, come follow me, and Peter just had to become a disciple of him. But this was a different kind of calling out. And so Peter took this bravery and he stepped out of the boat. He stepped out of the boat and he walked on water. And his faith was able to make him do that. And what about Paul? He was able to stand up in front of entire crowds of people who weren't necessarily believers yet. It wasn't like me able to stand up in front of a crowd who generally have a concept of who Jesus Christ is. But Paul went to the Gentiles and he had the courage to stand up in front of them and say, Jesus is the Lord and Savior against all odds, against the Roman government, against what he initially had believed his entire life. These are grand characters in the Bible that come to life as we read the scriptures. But today I'm in a cave. And so I thought, what kind of a character might I be able to think about and draw closer to and understand a little bit more? And so I chose Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. And boy, were my Sunday school teachers wrong about this one. You probably got the same story. Daniel was courageous. And then he went into the lion's den. And there were cute and cuddly lions in there. They wouldn't harm a fly. 
Well, if we keep on reading, which we will, we'll get to the part about how the people that were trying to do evil to Daniel were thrown into the lion's den, and then the lions actually got to do what the lions really do. They weren't cute and cuddly lions. So that's where we find ourselves today. If you'd like to look at your scripture in your bulletin, if you'd like to look it on your app on your phone, or in Daniel chapter 6, it's right in the middle, we find this character of Daniel. And he is an Israelite, but still he's able to rise in power in the Babylonian Empire. And so Daniel rises to power, and he's done such a good job. He's actually one of three main guys. He's called one of the three presidents. And he's got a hundred satraps that come and are, are um, coming to him so that they can report into him and everything. So he's a pretty important dude. And so Daniel, who has risen to power, is not liked by everybody else, as you can imagine. And so everybody else goes up to the king and they say, hey, king, I think it would be a really great idea. We should have just one month where everyone just worships you. They're not allowed to worship any other gods. They're just allowed to worship you. And so the king says, oh, well, that sounds nice. I would like everybody to worship me. And so he signs the decree, a decree that cannot be revoked And so then, the guys who don't like Daniel, they know what they've done because they've searched long and hard. Has Daniel had anything wrong with him? Has he done anything that would, there we go, (laughs) be cautious about your words. Has Daniel done anything to tarnish his demeanor, to tarnish his nature, to tarnish his reputation? Has he had Something bad that has happened in his life. I was going to go on, but there's kids in the room, so you know what I mean. No. The only thing that they have found frustrating about Daniel, and is it really something to be frustrated about, is that he's devoted to God. And so they think this is how they're going to trick him. So the king has signed the decree. The people go about telling Daniel that this is the new decree. And what does Daniel do? He still goes up to the top of his roof three times a day like he always does. And he prays towards Jerusalem because that's what a good Israelite man does. He prays. Daniel prays despite all odds, despite knowing the law, he gives to God what is God. And he gives to, to borrow a quote from another part in the scriptures, Caesar what is Caesar's or gives the king what is the king's. Daniel still does what Daniel does. And so we go on and we pick up in verse 13 towards the end. Daniel still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Verse 15. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Hey, remember, O king, that according to the law, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and he brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, you hear almost like a plea, or like, good luck, kid. May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring 
with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Side note, I actually think that the king put the rock in front of the tomb so that other people, I mean, they're trying to kill this guy, right? Other people couldn't get in and kill him just in case the lions don't. It's good that the king did. The king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating or any entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. And I bet the king had more of a restless night than Daniel did. Because at the first dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And he came near the den. He called Daniel with a voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, been able to rescue you from the lion's? There's something deep inside of him, hoping, will he hear Daniel's voice? He's unsure still at this moment. And Daniel answers, O king, live forever. My God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lion. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in the sight. I've never done anything wrong before you, O king. And boy, was that king overjoyed. And he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And Daniel was lifted from the den. Not a scratch was on this man. Because he knew and he trusted God. And the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel, they were brought into the lion's den themselves. This is the part that my Sunday school teachers always left out. Along with their wives and their children, as customary by the law. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. But then King Darius, who we know this is coming, he wrote to all of the people and all of the nations in every language throughout the land that his heart had changed to know who God is, who the true God is. And he says, may you prosper greatly. God is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And he rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I hope it doesn't bug you too much that I'm pretty sure this is an allegory. An allegory is a big word for a story that has lots of meaning and purpose. And there are a couple of reasons why we think this might be an allegory. First of all, it's a very fantastic story. The concept of a guy being thrown into the den of lions and being saved from it is a fantiful story. Just a couple of chapters earlier, you might remember of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perhaps you remember those three gentlemen who were also thrown into a cave of some sorts, but this time it was a fiery furnace, and they escaped without a scathing mark on them either. It also has a lot to do with mockery of the king. You see, back in those days, they wouldn't have written down a hard story like this, mocking a king, because you pretty much can understand what would happen. The king would find out that something was written bad about him, and then he would kill everybody. And there's also no Darius, King Darius, written in the Babylonian history. There's a King Cyrus of the Persian Empire, and perhaps it might be some sort of a nickname, but all three of these things together make us realize that this is an allegory. But sometimes the Bible has allegories in them, or parables, or stories like this, 
And it doesn't make them any less important for our lives. And in fact, makes it more important for our lives because God is trying to tell us something. And he wants us to have that parallel, find ourselves in the story. Because I don't know about you, I've not found myself face to face with a lion, nor do I ever hope that I do. But I have come face to face with bully. I have come face to face with people who've wanted to throw me into the lion's den. I've been scared and felt like I was in the lion's den. I've been comforted by God as I feel like I'm in the lion's den and know that there's a sleeping lion laying next to me. And the only reason why I am safe is because God is watching over me. You see, this allegory can be for you. And that's where the power comes from. I imagine that this story was told around campfires and someone said, hey, Uncle Steve, I just saw you, so I thought, why not? (laughs) I'd like an Uncle Steve like you. Hey, Uncle Steve, tell us that story, the one about the cute and cuddly lions. And you know that Steve goes into the story not about the cute and cuddly lions. It's a story that we can find ourselves in, that young boys, young girls can learn about, learn about how powerful their God is. Learn about what kind of courage they need to have. And in the end, they'll learn about what kind of God that they have and what kind of savior that they have. And I know that Daniel doesn't come to this place in his life. We can unpack it a little bit further. Daniel doesn't come to this place in his life without these baby steps. You see, it's like this. I had a friend once and she had a 10-year-old girl and the 10-year-old girl hadn't ever really seen the ocean before. And so when she first saw the ocean, she first moved out to California, she was scared of the waves. I don't know if you all have had that experience. I grew up here and so I'm not really scared of the waves. But I noticed at the end of the summer, she was actually playing this game with the waves where she'd go up to them and then as they came crashing in, she would run away. And she didn't really mind after a while that the waves came and crashed on her. And I noticed over and over again that at the beginning of the summer, she was as far away from those waves as she possibly could be. But now at the end of the summer, she was practically having them splash all over her. Now she's not, you know, deep sea diving and she's not snorkeling in Bermuda. But she had the courage and she was taking some baby steps. Or maybe this illustration hits you a little bit closer to home. I had some friends and they were, gonna t- they were taking their babies and a two-year-old, I can't even believe this, a baby and a two-year-old, and they took them on a flight from Los Angeles to Tokyo. I hear it. I see, I see Corey. <laughs> wow. But it's not like they started with that. They had taken the infant on 32 flights before they had actually taken the trip from here to Tokyo. And I can't believe that they did it with the two-year-old either, but they started, of course, with the two-year-old. And of course, they had some messy times along the way. I mean, sometimes you're just sitting on the runway for an extra hour and all you have is a cup of water and a straw. Or sometimes there's a messy diaper explosion and you got a Girl Scout that. You get some toilet paper and some packing tape from the flight attendant and you figure it out. Baby steps. What kind of baby steps do you need to take in order to have the kind of courage that Daniel had? 
Maybe it's a prayer life every day. Maybe it's getting into your Bible more. Maybe it's making a habit about coming to worship. Maybe it's finding a friend who you can study and pray with or just have accountability with. What are your baby steps? There's also something that Daniel didn't miss. There's a warning, but there's also an opportunity. You see, there's a warning to this whole generation. Daniel is an Israelite and he's living in this Babylonian empire and this Babylonian empire is not living up to God's decree. And you can imagine that there's a whole bunch of Israelites who are not as holy as Daniel is either. And so Daniel is also showing a warning to a people who are in a place where it is hard to worship God. They're exiles. They're persecuted. They're bullied. We're exiles. We're persecuted. We're bullied. How easy is it for us to go out and just say, oh, yeah, I'll be praying for you today. What's their face going to be like? I don't pray. I don't believe in God. That God does bad things. I've seen it on the news. There's a warning to this whole generation. But we shouldn't be disobedient. It's kind of like this. When I was a little kid, my mom would give my brother and myself the rundown when we were going into the shopping center. So we're going into the shopping center, and of course, as a little kid, we're like, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. She knew that was going to happen. She's seen other kids do it because we were model citizens. No, we weren't. And so she gives us a warning. And she says, you're not going to get anything for yourself. This is for us. This is for our family. And so we're going to walk in. And there was immediately that, like, worry and fear that you get because you see the other kids as they're walking out. Mommy, mommy, don't leave me. Because you know that the mom has definitely made some sort of a decree. Don't touch anything. Don't run around. Otherwise, I'm leaving you here. You have an opportunity to come with me home if you have behaved yourself in the shopping center. And so there's a warning and there's an opportunity. We've got a warning and the opportunity is to live in grandiose glory with God. Why would we deny that? Then there's also a moment where we realize that Daniel is vulnerable. Daniel has been displayed. Daniel has gotten to a place where the lions could eat him. Daniel has gotten to a place where all of his sins are just laid out. These people have done investigations on him. These people are attacking him. These people are coming after him and wanting him dead. Daniel is in a vulnerable spot. And here he is in a lion's den, the most vulnerable spot that you could possibly be in. And this is a juxtaposition to what our place could be. Where do we feel most vulnerable? But his display of faith makes him vulnerable. He said, I'm going to a prayer meeting. I've got to go to church. I love God. I spend a lot of my time worshiping God. Daniel is vulnerable, and yet he still comes boldly to his God, and he prays three times a day. That's much more than what the law decrees. Daniel comes boldly to God, 
and he is vulnerable. Don't we have a savior who knows what it's like to be vulnerable? Don't we have a savior who has been displayed and has been opened up and has been harmed? Don't we have a savior who is laid bare on Calvary's cross? We've got the kind of savior that has come before us and been there, knows what it's like to have these challenges in our lives. We've got a savior who has been mauled by the lions. We've got a savior that instead of us being mauled by the lions, has saved us much like Daniel has been saved in the lion's den. And so there's a whole other layer to this story that came about. We are Daniel and we are saved because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus saves us. And so we come boldly to God with courage and with that kind of power behind us because we know that Jesus has done all of the bad things and taken it all and shut the mouths of the lions. That's incredible saving that happened to Daniel and that's incredible saving that happened to us. And so for that, we are forever thankful. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, our God, we are so forever thankful that you have shut the lion's mouths Whatever those lions have been in your life, let you know that they will not harm you. And because of that, let us have incredible courage. Let us go from this world with incredible courage and strength and knowing that God's power can power over anything. And let us not be ashamed to act out. To act out that our Lord and our God is forever ours and to worship him. In your name we pray, amen.